0: Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Dr. Heidi Brocky, who is a toxic relationship awareness and healing specialist. Today, we're going to talk about how to recognize if we're in a toxic relationship, two, how to navigate those toxic relationships, and three, how to get out of or escape a toxic relationship. And bonus, we're going to learn how our feelings of guilt even get us into and keep us in these toxic relationships. So let's hop into it with Dr. Heidi Brockie. This word toxic relationship, or just the word toxic, is, is new to me. You know, I'm 47. No one was using toxic masculinity, toxic this. Now it's everywhere. How are you defining toxic in terms of relationships?
1: Okay, so this is actually the first thing I do on any time I'm guesting for anybody or have an interview. Um, There's a lot of misnomer around the word toxic. And so I love being able to explain it. Now, um, Dr. Heidi, yes, but I, I am not a licensed mental health professional. I'm a chiropractor acupuncturist by trade. And so I always make sure people know that. Thus, I don't use diagnostic terms that belong to the mental health community very often because I don't want to overstep my bounds. But I can I can fix your neck very well. Um, I chose the word toxic about seven years ago, maybe eight years ago now, when I, when I started this, um, when this business landed in my lap, is what I should say. And the reason I chose toxic is toxic is not a diagnosis. Toxic is an adjective. That is used to describe any relationship in the status that it's in that's unhealthy for you mentally, physically, or emotionally. And when I chose it, it was not everywhere all over social media. Um, Now, when you see the word toxic, you almost feel like it's a diagnosis. You feel like there are boxes to check to see if somebody's toxic or if somebody's not. And uh, the thing that people miss about toxic and they don't realize about toxic is you are the only person that can decide which relationships in your life are healthy for you or not. And what we tend to do is we tend to start Googling, oh, do they have this? And oh, they're they're not this, and they're not bipolar, and they're not this, so it must be me. And, and we have to remember that this is our life, and we get to choose. But yes, toxic is all of a sudden the word all over, and I just chose it because I wanted a blanket phrase. Um, my approach is does it really matter if they have a diagnosis? Cause it doesn't make the relationship any healthier for you.
0: I love that idea. It's so true. You know, I've been working with my therapist for maybe three or four years and she has yet to diagnose me and it kind of drives me nuts. (laughs) I'm like, tell me, am I, is it depression? Is it bipolar? Like, what is it? And. Okay. So
1: that's, that's funny because I, I, haven't let anybody diagnose me. I don't want one. I don't, I don't want a label, but, but, you know, that, that might be the chiropractor in me, but you, the reason we want a diagnosis is we want validation in why we act the way we do or why we react the way we do, or, you know, or whatever. And when we have validation, we feel better about it.
0: Oh, I I love validation. I need so much validation validate me all the time as soon as I post something I'm like am i getting likes am i not getting likes so in, in terms of this uh, and thank you for clearing up what your definition of toxicity is because what I hear you saying is it's not so much about is this toxic it's like is this healthy for me is this uh is this nourishing is this something that is empowering me is this getting me out of bed is this is this feeding yep. me and fulfilling me in a in a on a, a way that um, aligns with my values and, and what I want out of life?
1: Yeah, and I think too um, another thing that people don't realize is you know toxic can be on on many different levels. It can be anything from the bully on the playground all the way up to the man I ran away from, to the clients toxic people that I work with, to the things you're seeing on Netflix. And so, you know, when I started, and, and maybe you'll ask me about how I got into this, but when I started, I was really just going to help females get out of marriages that were unhealthy. And it's been eight years, and I've worked with toxic family members, toxic friendships, toxic co-workers, all sorts of different dynamics, because any interaction that you have with someone on emotional level is, is a relationship. And And I always, okay, I went into healthcare because I'm the... I'm the kind, caring, loving, giving, fix it, you know, make people feel better type of personality. And I always say, I I spent my whole life, everybody can come in my inner circle. Yeah. Yeah. Come in. I'll help you. Yeah. I'll bake brownies in the middle of the night. Yeah. I'll run your kids wherever. Yeah. Whatever. And now I spent the last 15 years kicking them all out because I finally realized I get to decide which circle they get to be in. And, and now I'm the center rather than me making everybody else the center and me catering to every relationship and the demands that it had on me. I do not do it perfectly, by the way.
0: Tell me more about that. Not doing it perfectly.
1: Um, ooh, that's the can of worms. Are you sure you want to go there? We got time. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um I work a lot with um, victims of emotional abuse. And I spent 14 years in a relationship that I had no idea what it was. It seemed very chaotic to me. I was walking on eggshells. I was sick to my stomach. I was trying to raise two daughters. He was mad all the time. I was always in trouble. But it became very normal to us. You know, being in a relationship that's unhealthy for you is like walking into a room that stinks. If you stay in the room, the smell goes away, right? It doesn't mean the room doesn't stink. You don't realize how bad the room stunk until you go back out into fresh air. And unhealthy relationships are the same thing because somebody like me who wants to help and wants to support and wants to fix, um, you said the word a little bit earlier. Um, what What I found myself doing was changing myself to avoid conflict. Oh, he doesn't like that. I better do it this way. Oh, we can't do that. We better do it this way. Oh, you don't like my hair. I better wear it this way. And and I kept adapting and adapting and adapting and pretty soon I lost my complete identity, my value. I had to keep changing my values to fit with his values or fit better because otherwise there was conflict. Um my I didn't even look like myself by the time I left. I am extroverted. I'm the first one on the bar with a whiskey in my hand, okay? And when I when I finally left, I never smiled. I never laughed. I I walked, I remember I walked looking at the ground all the time. And, and what had happened in that relationship is I changed who I was to become what I thought he needed or what he, I thought he wanted. And in those type of relationships, it's never going to matter how much you change. They're always going to move the goalposts and they're always going to change the rules because that keeps our attention and our focus on them. And I don't get too deep into um, the scientific of this, but when you are constantly living in survival mode and trying to keep people happy and always trying to anticipate what's going on, it changes the way that the pathways in your brain operate. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you react to people. And I've been 15 years out and I still have episodes where my body thinks I'm still there. Something will remind me And and I'll immediately my body will have a reaction that I'm still in it. Um, I've had times when I don't want to leave the house. Um, I don't know what people think of me. I don't know if people are going to like me. I don't know if I'm going to be good enough. Those are all the type of things that an emotionally abusive person will lead you to believe. But but once you get out those if you've been in a relationship like that for a long time, the pathways in your brain have been trained to react to avoid conflict and stay out of trouble. So you get out into, you know, new relationships or you get out into new friendships or you get out into your new life, your body and your brain is now trained to react the same way it had for 14 years. And it's very, very isolating. So um, 15 years out and I still I'm tired. I'm so tired of dealing with it. But, um, you know, people don't necessarily acknowledge emotional abuse because you can't see it. And both. Me and both of my daughters are very, very aware that years and years after the effects, even though the relationship's gone, you know, that particular person is gone, the effects and the way I function in my life is completely different.
0: Talked about how isolating it can be, you know, trying to avoid conflict and stay out of trouble. Can we dig a little deeper into that? When you say isolating, isolating in a way of you're turning down events, you're not going anywhere, you're not returning phone calls. Is your, are you not connecting with your family during this
1: time? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, um, I did about 12 years with almost no symptoms of it. And in the last year and a half, Um, things have been cropping back up. Um, I believe because I lead a lot of people and I am a firm believer in everything happens like it's supposed to. um, If I get tears in my eyes, you'll be able to hear it. But when I go through something like this and I have to peel another layer off, yes, I'm sick of it and I hate it because I feel like I've been dealing with it for so long. But I know that there's a client coming to me in the next year that I won't be able to help if I don't go through this step of it. And, um, you know, my story is, is kind of ridiculous, but when I have, I have a podcast as well, and I get a lot of questions, you know, what do you regret? What would you change? What would you do different? And, and I look back and the job that I'm doing now is the best job I've ever had. I will do this for the rest of my life. And if I wouldn't have gone through what I went through and had it as extreme as it was, I wouldn't be very good at my job. Um, I always, I always joke that the Lord basically said, okay, Heidi, you're going to be a chiropractor for 25 years while I train you for your new job. And, um, I think the only thing I would do different in it is I would have left when my kids were younger, because then they wouldn't be having to fight the same thing, um, that I fought. Now, when I say that I left six times and I think, I think they say the average leaving an abuser is six or seven. I didn't know anything about it. I I wouldn't have said it was an abusive relationship because I was in a stinky room, you know, and back to that stinky room thing. It's not that the room doesn't stink, but your body basically goes, this smells really bad. So your body desensitizes you to that smell. And when you're in an environment like that and you're always on eggshells and you're always hyper vigilant, and you're always, and trying to anticipate what's coming next so you can keep you and your kids safe, your body basically says, she can't handle this. So we have to desensitize. And if you're seeing the same behavior every day, the first few days, yes, it's very disruptive and it makes you upset and it makes you cry. And you're wondering why you ever got in this relationship, but on the 41st day, if the same behavior has gone on, our body basically goes, okay, well, this is way too emotional. We can't deal with this at this level all the time. So we are going to start desensitizing. And when your body does that, whatever environment you're living in becomes completely normal. And, and my kids grew up in that environment thinking everybody, everybody's house and marriage and, and life was like that. The isolation piece, um, that there's, there's kind of twofold. And I feel like there's a little bit of, of groundwork that goes behind that. But, um, Emotional abuse is very difficult for people who have not been through it to understand. Um, I left six times. What do you think people that knew me were thinking about me when I went back the sixth time? They're like, what's the matter with her? Well, why doesn't she just leave? I remember thinking if one more person's suggestion is, well, if it's that bad, why don't you leave? Because, oh, I hadn't thought about that, but every day for the last 14 years. And, and the, Again, I feel like there's a little bit back on here, but the emotional abuser, uh, their goal is to get you to be emotionally dependent on them. Now, uh, I think when I was in that relationship, people had mentioned that they thought, you know, maybe my mom or people that were close to me thought that it was emotionally abusive. Well, I didn't know what the definition was. And I was very, very in denial. For one, I didn't. People had told me not not to pursue that relationship. And I did. So I didn't want to have the whole I told you so thing. And I didn't want the embarrassment of being the only person in my family that, you know, was divorced and had a volatile marriage. And and so I was in denial of it being abusive. Um, I think I, I thought, yeah, he yells and calls names a lot. But that's that's just him. That's just him. You just you know, you get used to it. So my kids, my kids grew up in that. Well. What The real definition of emotional abuse is, now, this is my definition. This isn't the definition you'll get if you Google. It's when someone uses your emotions to get what they need. So if they can do something to make you happy, like take you on a date. If they can do something to make you sad, like cancel a date, pick a fight to make you mad, to make you angry, say something to make you feel guilty. Those are all our own emotions. And, and we're allowed to feel however we feel. But when you're in a situation like that, you feel some, something and you have people, uh, usually the emotionally abusive going, well, how come you feel like that? Or you shouldn't feel like that. Or how come you're being so sensitive all the time? Or why do you always overreact? Okay, that causes conflict in a relationship. So I learned very quickly, don't overreact. Don't be sensitive. Whatever feeling he thinks I should be feeling, that's what I'm going to feel so I don't get in trouble. And if somebody can say or do things that can control your emotions, they can control so much of who you are. Um, example, two of the times that I left my former, all he had to do was get a hold of me and say, I can't believe you're breaking up our family. And I felt so guilty, I couldn't deal with it. I didn't take two seconds to look and go, this is, this is not a family. This is a complete debacle mess. But all he had to do was say, I can't believe you're breaking up my family. And I felt so guilty, I went back. Um, an example of, of if you're becoming dependent on somebody uh, emotionally, when I'm just gonna use the household as an example. Uh, you're in the kitchen. You're getting the kids ready, to, you know, for school. The dog's running around. Um, the spouse comes down the hall, and you he makes the kids laugh, and he pets the dog, and he comes in, and he grabs a cup of coffee, and he he pats you on the butt, and gives you a kiss on the cheek, and says, "Have a good day," and leaves. What kind of day do you have that day? It's generally a pretty good day. The next morning, same scenario. You're trying to get things done. The kids are getting ready for school. The dog's running around and you hear him coming down the hall and you can tell he's heavier. And he chews one of the kids out. You hear the dog yelp, grabs his coffee, doesn't say a word to you, leaves and slams the door. What kind of day do you have that day? An absolute high anxiety, horrible day. So, an example of being emotionally dependent on somebody is we wait to see what mood they're in and how they treat us before we decide how we're feeling because We are supposed to feel the same way they do about everything. So when we talk back, you asked about isolation. Um, Isolation in my former relationship was what just about killed me. Now, I was a practicing chiropractor. So during the day, I had people that were very happy to see me. But I was living um, very far from my family. Um, I didn't have a ton of friends because my schedule and my time was totally preoccupied by what by a list that he had for me. And the reason he kept me busy all the time was because he did not want me to have emotional connections with anybody else. So anything in my life, like my family, my friends, my hobbies, um, tangible things that were sentimental to me. I had a, a set of lime green dishes that I freaking loved and they made me so happy. Anything that brings emotion into your life They're going to make it very difficult for you to see those people, for you to continue relationships with those people, for you to continue those hobbies or to have tangible stuff that makes you have an emotion, because that that is a threat to their emotional control over you. So, you know, it started out that, well, we don't have any money, so you you can't go see your family. Okay, well, then he would come to see my family with me, but because my attention was on my family. He would pick fights the whole time I was there. So my attention had to stay on him. Okay, pretty tune. It was so stressful for me to try and visit my family. Because if I went by myself, I got 200 texts a day, three phone calls. He had to have my attention and it made him feel very insecure when he didn't have it because I was emotionally connecting with my family. So eventually I quit asking. And and when I quit asking, I would just talk on the phone. Well, event- eventually me talking to my mom on the phone was a problem. So then I started only talking to my mom on the phone when he wasn't around. Okay. Well then, you know, I had one that went through the cell phone bill. So by the time I left, I wasn't in contact with my family at all because every time I tried, it caused conflict. Same thing with friends. You want to go out for friends before you even get your first freaking margarita. He's on the texter. Uh, every hobby that I ever had, um, we don't have time for you to do that. Your hobby's taking up too much money. Um, your candle making business gives me a headache. And, and eventually what happens is it's easier for us to cut all of that stuff out of our life than to have to fight with them about it every day. And and their, their goal is to isolate us from anything that we're emotionally attached to. So our only emotional connection is them. Uh, that's why you see in divorces, with in high conflict divorces, Why one parent will try to pit the kids against the other parent, because parents love their kids. So if you have a mom that's super attached to her kids and she's trying to divorce someone who's unhealthy for her, those kids are an emotional attachment for her. So they'll, you know, turn into the Disneyland dad or turn into the mom that buys the kids everything to try and draw them away from the other parent because they know it will hurt the other parent because she's emotionally attached.
0: You talked earlier, Heidi, about being in the relationship for 14 years, this this unhealthy relationship, controlling, uh, you know, hes causing you to be emotionally and probably financially dependent upon him, it making you sick to your stomach. Did that manifest in some type of eating disorders or prescription usage?
1: So here's where my health care comes in chiropractors I don't care I don't care what you think about them I was a very normal chiropractor by the way and I was a very good adjuster so whatever views you have of chiropractors if that's fine with me um, but we we go off the basis of innate intelligence okay the human body is amazing it is designed to heal itself and that's why in hypothermia um, the blood leaves the extremities because life is in the organs. The body knows what's important and the body knows what's less important. Um, Tension is one of the things I talk about being in a toxic relationship a lot. Usually tension starts very early, early on. The the person you're dating will do something, yell at a waiter or have a little road rage. And you'll get a you'll get kind of a pit in your stomach and you'll think, oh, I don't think that was normal. But those of us who want to avoid conflict and our helpers and we're the ones that see the benefit of the doubt in everyone. Right. Well, he just had a bad day. That's why he was mad on the road. Or I guess, that, I guess that waiter did deserve to be chewed out. Like we start making excuses and that feeling in our stomach goes away. Okay, that feeling in your stomach is your body's natural defense mechanism telling you something's wrong. It's basically the listen to your gut that nobody does. It's our intuition. And when you start making excuses, your body's giving you a warning sign. This guy is having road rage. He's yelling at waiters. I don't think this is a good relationship. And I pat my little tummy and I go, it's okay. He just had a bad day. Well, the longer you're in it, the more your body responds to that stress, which is a whole nother topic of conversation, but your adrenal system is a system in your body that helps you adapt to stress. And when it is on high alert all the time, pretty soon, I was living with a pain in my stomach nonstop. In fact, right now, when I'm talking about it, I can feel it in my stomach. But when you're in it for so long, you don't see it as a warning sign anymore. You just have a stomach ache, And then, you know, your hair's falling out. And then you start having other digestive issues. And your skin starts flaking. And, and that's the process where your body goes, we are living in such a highly stressful environment. We have to stop doing some of the things that your body should do for you because we have to deal with all this. And, and one of the first things I noticed, I didn't realize what it was then, but I realize it now, um, my daughter's rodeoed at a very high level. So I was driving through the night a lot. And one night I had to look out the passenger window in order to let a car pass me because the lights were so bright. Okay. I was only 31 or 32 at the time. And I thought, oh my gosh, my eyes have always been really good. Well, I didn't know this until years later, but the body, I had been living in such a stressful environment, things like the pupillary reflex, It's not important. And I remember that night I was in trouble and I was getting mean texts the whole time. And my body just said, if you're going to deal with this stress, I don't have time to grow your hair. I don't have time to constrict your pupil. I don't have time to grow your fingernails. Nothing. And so those are some of the the physical residual effects, but it will wear your adrenal system completely out. Now that I've been out, like I just noticed that pain come in my stomach when I was talking about it. I the minute I get a pain in my stomach, I listen to my body. And sometimes it's because I'm in an environment that's not healthy, but sometimes it's I forgot to mail the electric bill and I just got the email. And so I always have to stop myself and go, OK, what's giving you this pain in your stomach? Because and as soon as I resolve what it was, what it is, it goes away. But my, my body still after 15 years is very um, reactive. Uh, I did. You were asking. Um, I did not use any coping mechanisms the entire time I was in that relationship. Um, I maybe had a glass of wine here or there. I grew up in this little Christian community. We didn't drink, shoot. We didn't even dance in the high school that I went to, not because it was a footloose. It was just the funding wasn't there or something. Um, So I was, I was not exposed to very much life. I wouldn't even have known that there, that the addictions that people fight today were even out there. But um, when I finally did get out. And I, I had to run away and you can, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, I had been sick one day in the 14 years that I was in that relationship that I could remember. Um, There were so many demands put on me. My body just said, you can't be sick. Here you go. And I ran at a thousand miles an hour for 14 years. I didn't have to sleep. I didn't have to eat. I literally was operating on hundred percent adrenaline and our body's not made to do that. After I left, I had been out for about 16 months or about six months. And I started getting sick. I started getting strep throat. I had kidney infections. My nose was running all the time. I was coughing and I I ended up having to go get my adrenals tested. And this is, and I do now still, I'm not practicing chiropractic, but I still work with people on treating adrenal fatigue, but I was in stage three of adrenal fatigue, which basically meant my adrenal system had been running so high for so long. When I got out and was in a safe place, it basically just crashed. My immune system kind of quit working. Um, I would sleep, but I, I would never be rested. And um, I was so glad that I I got tested because I always just thought Heidi has a lot of energy. And now here I am on the couch six months after leaving a horrible place, and I'm trying to build a new life, and I I literally have no energy. and. Um, Adrenal dysfunction comes from lifestyle. It comes from stressful lifestyle. So the only thing that will really repair adrenal dysfunction is changing your lifestyle. And it it took me seven years to get a negative adrenal test after I was diagnosed stage three. And really, it's about it's about taking care of yourself and taking care of your body. But um, I really, truly believe that if I would have stayed there much longer, I think that relationship would have killed me if he wouldn't have killed me in a fit of rage. By the time the end was coming, I was starting to stand up for myself, and you know when you stand up for yourself, abuse escalates. Um, so things started getting pushy and shovey, and and when I finally did leave, I had to run away. Um, and leave. I left basically everything, and and ran away from the whole thing. And he kept my kids for five years from me.
0: What? Gave so I was building the-
1: a new life. I was a doctor with no patients, I was mom with no kids. I had no money. Um, and, um, I was, I was just, I had to get out. It was going to kill me if I didn't. And I, I was not the example of the mom that the girls needed. I couldn't, I couldn't protect them when I was there. Um, I knew that if, if I kept covering up his behavior, they'd be 40 years old and they'd be still living in his basement because he had been so controlling. And so, um, I spent five years without contact with my kids other than, other than occasional emergency. And, um, I worked really, really hard to become the example that they needed so that they could see something that was normal. And in the same time, I, I prayed every day because their, their safety was, was, was in jeopardy when they were with him. Um, and I prayed Every day that they would eventually see his true colors, so that he wouldn't continue to do the same thing to him. Um, I left them when they were 11 and 13, and they ran away from him when they were 17 and 19. Uh, They're 25 and 27 now, and they are my two best friends. Uh, They don't live around me, but our relationship is great. The reason that our relationship is great is because I created a place that they knew was stable. Whenever there was anything, they knew no matter what, I would always be there. Dad will be mad. But mom's always going to love us. And um, now they're fighting some of the same post-traumatic stuff. I think I forgot what question I was answering because I got off on all that.
0: Well, you know, I'm curious about your childhood. Because there's so many articles, podcasts, you know, people talking about how, you know, what are the flags of, uh, you know, a toxic person or toxic relationship? Mm-hmm. You know, what in your childhood, when you look back, was your household one of toxicity? Um, why do you think you were drawn into this type of relationship?
1: Okay. Um, I love this question. And the first thing I want to say is what I do in my work is I teach people how to see the world from the toxic person's eyes. So you were just talking about the red flags. That's, that's basically what I do. I do a ton of education. Now, it's funny that you asked me about my childhood um, because in the last year and a half, I was telling you things have kind of erupted. I'd never looked at my childhood. My mom and dad have been married for 56 years and I have never seen them fight. My dad is, was a prison chaplain and we lived in this little community. I remember my childhood being super happy. I grew up on a dairy farm. We were outside in Montana all the time. I don't fight with my siblings. Our extended family was great. So I never, ever, ever looked at that until the last year and a half. And I do believe that there is a connection there. And you're the first interviewer that has asked me about this. So this is the first time I'm talking about this. Um, I knew that, well, I really thought because. My upbringing seemed so calm and seemed so surreal um, that this person just came into my life and turned it completely upside down and tried to destroy me. So logic would say that if I got rid of that person and got out of that relationship, I would things would fall back into place, right? Well, like I said earlier, I did have about twelve years where things things were very calm, and then things started disrupting. So I did start thinking about my upbringing and. Um, my mother is as introverted as they get. She's not a hugger. I don't think that she told us she loved us verbally. We never questioned it. She's very calm. She's very quiet. Um, my big sister is exactly the same way. My little sister is exactly the same way. My dad was a dairy farmer. He's much more like me, but I didn't see him a lot. You know, we, we couldn't wait for him to get home because he would rough house with us and play games and take us swimming and stuff. But but if I had a dollar for every time someone said, "Heidi, be quiet," "Heidi, sit down," "Heidi, you have too much energy," "Heidi, you need to go outside," I learned very quickly that Heidi was too much for my family, and and I just again in the last year started looking back at this. They didn't know what to do with me. I had so dad burned much energy. I don't. I don't think they could even hardly stand to be around me, and. And I think with me hearing, Heidi, be quiet, Heidi, sit down, Heidi, you have too much energy, I I then started adapting to being the person that I thought other people thought I needed to be. Because as I kind of tracked through, I was the junior high girl that just wanted to fit in. And I would change a little bit to fit into this group or change a little bit to fit into that group. Um, just I just wanted to be accepted for who I was. And all the way through, I kept finding that, oh, well, if I'm really Heidi, that that really doesn't work for people right? And, you know, I didn't, I had one serious relationship in high school, but I just kind of dated and had fun. But, but the ones that I did date, they break up with me and guess who'd be standing there when they came back? Me. So it is, it is um, funny that you bring that up because that was just something that I just recently, just recently realized. Now I'm not going to bring it up to my family. I, now that I understand it, it helps me because it, it makes me feel like Uh, It makes a lot more sense. And, you know, I did not want to go on the first date with my former husband. But by the third or fourth time he'd asked me out and I'd said no, I started feeling bad because that's my personality. I don't want to make him mad. I don't want to, you know, so, okay, I'll go out. Okay, I didn't want to go to a second date. Same thing. All of a sudden I was married, had two kids, had a business, had a ranch. Ta-da, here I am because I didn't want to be the bad person. And I didn't I, I just wanted to make people happy. And, um, you know, when I work with my clients too, we, we tend to say, I don't know why I picked this person. And, and usually in situations like this, we did not pick this person. This, this person picked us. An emotionally wired, empathetic person is going to step into relationships for companionship and partnership and intimacy and emotional support and building a life together. And, you know, all of that, um, because why would I step into a relationship for anything but that? and usually the personality that's more toxic will lead you to believe that their relationship goals are the same and somebody who has a personality that that i would classify as toxic is usually somewhat insecure in themselves and they use other people to make them feel secure and and i was being used for the feeling of power you know control i ha- he had my attention in the beginning i gave him a lot of admiration and you know because I understand it so well now, everything that used to be so confusing, I almost have to laugh at because I'm like, how in the world did you miss that? So if you're in the life of somebody who's a toxic personality, you are there to supply them with the feelings that they need in order to feel secure. And the, the one of the other things that's confusing is the good days are for the same goal as the bad days. Because if they're being nice and they're making you happy there's attention and ad- admiration. On the days that are bad, if you're fighting, there's power, control, and attention. And all of those things are the things that feed a toxic personality because they're insecure in themselves. Now, I need to say this. The toxic personality did not, act, did not ask to be this way. Their upbringing or something happened in their life that caused that insecurity. You know, it could be a traumatic upbringing, it could be a diagnosis, it could be an addiction. And something caused that insecurity where they need people around them to feel secure. What is, What was my fault is I felt so sorry for him because my personality is going to feel sorry for somebody who had a traumatic upbringing. I didn't know that he was placing me in his life to be able to use me for the one that would make him feel secure. And so it's a combination of Yes, everybody telling Heidi to be quiet and Heidi to sit down and the personality that I was given. I am a target for a toxic personality because I'm the one that will change and accommodate and fix and support to my detriment and almost to, you know, my health.
0: Does that make you scared or cautious about being involved or engaging in future relationships? recognize. I, that.
1: I have been in a relationship for 15 years and I will be married for 11 this September to the best man on the planet. I would marry him every day of my life. However, it's not, it doesn't work that easy for a lot of people. And so I do, uh, you know, when I work with my clients, it is my job to make sure that they know how to one spot, the red flags, how to two choose themselves first. And three, be able to say thanks, but no thanks. Um, You know, again, my, my story is kind of crazy, but when I talk about the day I ran away, I had already been divorced from my former husband for two years. I didn't know then what I know now, obviously. He didn't care if I had divorce papers or not. He could still control the money. He wouldn't let me buy his half of the practice. He wouldn't sell me, you know, he wouldn't let me out of the practice. He wouldn't let me sell my half. So it didn't really matter to him that, that, I, was, that I had finally got him to, to sign divorce papers because nothing changed for two years except that he could now have girlfriends that weren't behind my back. But if he thought I was gonna date, he would threaten me with my life. Okay, I had to work with this man every day in the same office for those two years. Now, looking back, I needed to do that too, because I have so many clients that think they're going to get divorced from this person and their life is going to be good. You are in the life of that person to supply them with security. They want control over you. So you divorcing them, they can still control you through the divorce process. They can still control you with your kids. But we are so programmed to respond to them and we're scared of them. We're not always scared for our physical safety, but we're scared for upsetting them, scared of disappointing them, scared of having conflict with them. And because during the relationship, they have trained us to feed off of their emotions. Well, you're just a bad mom if you're not going to let me take the kids to the park. And we feel guilty. So even though it's my parenting time, I'm going to let him take the kids to the park because he just made me feel guilty. And so I have to teach people how to interact with toxic people so that their behavior is not going to affect them. Because I, I'll never, ever be able to count how many times I looked at my former husband and thought, how come you can't just act normal? You know, how come you can't be nice? And then I, I decide I'm going to talk to him and I construct this long conversation that I have, if I use the right words and I use the right tone of voice and I pick the right time of day and I, and I really be gentle in how I tell him he hurt my feelings and ask him to change a few things, maybe tomorrow morning he's going to wake up and he's going to act like me. Right. He's not. The reason I thought he was not acting normal is because he doesn't have the same personality. I would never do and say the things that he didn't say to other people because that's not my personality. I'm the kind, caring, giving, loving, want to, you know, happy, happy clap for everybody person. So I'm looking at him thinking, how come you can't just act normal? Thinking I can convince him to change when in reality for his personality, he's acting 100% normal because for some reason, something in his past made him feel insecure and he doesn't know how else to act.
0: Talk and, to me about the guilt part, because I can imagine there are listeners who are tuning in and I know so many people who do things out of guilt and it sounds like if if we can't address this uh, coping and sitting with our own emotions of guilt, it can lead us not just into a toxic relationship, but just into doing things that we really aren't comfortable with. How are? You, how do you sit with your guilt now? What? How do you manage that when it comes up for you?
1: Okay. The first thing we need to remember is we talked about emotional abusive people, and they use your emotions to get what they need. Right? Guilt is an emotion, so. In reality, someone should not be able to make you feel guilty. If you feel guilty, you know, you should feel guilty, right? You threw a rock and broke the window. You know, you did it. Yeah, you should feel guilty about it. But when my former said, I can't believe you're breaking up the family, when it was, when it was an abusive, complete mess that was dangerous for all of us, just because he said it. I felt guilty because I was so used to him controlling my emotions. So the first thing people have to remember is is guilt is an emotion and your feelings are yours. So when somebody says something or does something that makes you feel guilty, stop and ask yourself what you're feeling guilty about because toxic people know very quickly that they can use your emotion of guilt to control you. Because if they can make you feel guilty the kind caring empath does not want to feel guilty so what is the fastest way to get rid of the feeling of guilt to do what they say so they know if i can make them feel guilty they don't like to feel guilty they'll do what i say to get rid of that feeling of guilt and and right now if i feel guilty about something i use the practice of stopping and asking myself is this something i should feel guilty over because i spent so much time um, feeding off of other people's emotions that that has been the hardest thing for me to break my now gorgeous husband. I call him my hot husband. He's programmed in my phone as my hot husband. If he comes home from work and he's quiet, cause he is not quiet. Um, my first response for many, many years was, oh, what did I do? You must be mad at me. And I could be super, super happy. And he'd come home and in be quiet. And my whole entire emotion would change. Okay, that is, a, that is someone who has been in an emotionally abusive relationship. He finally told me, Heidi, if it has something to do with you, I will tell you. If I don't tell you, it has nothing to do with you. And you'll probably hear about it in two days and I'm probably just mad at somebody at work or something like that. But that is a constant, that is something that I have had to incorporate into my life. When I'm feeling guilty, is it something I should feel guilty about? Or am I letting someone else make me feel guilty because they need something from me? And I also have to practice very hard on identifying what my emotions are through the day. And I I actually use an app and I check in and it's amazing to me. I can be happy in the morning and go through 27 emotions in the day. But my whole entire life prior, I operated off of three emotions. I was happy if people around me were happy and treating me well. And I was sad if people around me were sad and not treating me well. And I was mad but we were never allowed to be mad. We didn't get to have an opinion. We didn't get to have a say. So if we got mad, we were overreacting. So when I had the emotion of anger, I had to stuff it down. So when I left that relationship, the only two emotions I knew were happy and sad. And the only way I knew to control them was to see how the people around me were were treating me or what mood they were in. And then I just did what they did. So I, I mean, this is something that that I have to do every day. Remind me that Remind myself that, my emotions are my emotions. If somebody hurts my feelings, it's okay to feel bad. When I started using that app, I, I discovered something about myself. Um, I was very much taught that I couldn't really have any negative emotions. And and I, I just did a four-part podcast with my husband. And he when he asked me how I am, I'm very quick to go, oh, I'm good. Things are great. But on a day that's bad, if he asks me how I am, what do I say? I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't say, you know, I had a really crappy day and I'm feeling like this because I had been so trained that I'm not allowed to have bad emotions. I have to pretend that I'm happy all the time. That way I can keep everything calm and keep the peace. And so a couple of years ago, my husband invented a card game. It's really, really complicated. You shuffle the deck and you take turns turning the cards over and whoever gets an ace, gets to ask a question or make a statement. And the rules of the game were, you can ask anything you want, you have to tell the truth and nobody can get mad. And that is how he got me to start talking about the things that bothered me. Because I was always afraid that if I expressed negative emotion, there was gonna be a fight or I was gonna hurt his feelings or there was gonna be conflict or I would have done something wrong. And so I was very, always very hesitant to say when I was feeling something that was a negative and I'm not kidding. We play that game three times a week. Now it's, now it's developed into funny questions and just a time waster and stuff. But if he can tell something's wrong with me and he asks me if everything's okay and I go, yeah, I'm fine. He goes and gets the deck of cards. Because I know I have to tell the truth and nobody's going to get mad. But, but me Unprogramming from from some some of these behaviors like the guilt um, is it is a it's a constant daily reminder for me. I have to I have to do it every day. Now I've overcome a lot. Um, I don't really care what people think about me anymore. I don't care if I fit in. Um, that none of that bothers me. If I run into somebody I don't like their energy. If I never see them again, so what? You know I've I'm not scared to make decisions anymore. I I dress the way I want. I, you know, eat what I want. I couldn't order off of a menu when I left my former relationship. And it's not because he was telling me what to eat. He would just say something like, how come you're having chicken? Or don't you think that's too expensive? So at 35 years old, I'm waiting to see what he orders. I'm waiting to see what the price point is. Um, Are we having water or is it a cocktail night? And then I would order something I didn't even want, hoping that it, it wouldn't make a negative statement come out of his mouth. Okay, that they instill so much self-doubt because they know if you can't decide what to eat, you're never gonna make the decision on leaving the relationship. And so for me to start making decisions, the toxic relationship leads you to believe that if you make the wrong decision, a firing squad is gonna show up. So we learn not to make decisions. If we just wait long enough, the decision will make itself or somebody else will make it for us. And when I moved and had to start a new business and had was starting a new life and trying to meet new friends, I had to make a lot of decisions and I was paralyzed in it. And I finally just thought, you know what? Just make a decision. If you make the wrong one, we'll just make another one. And that's how I view my decision making now. Just make a decision. If it's the wrong one, make another one. Who cares? And you know what? I've made a lot of decisions. Not all of them were that great. And a firing squad has never showed up. You know, I have some of my clients that that have trouble making decisions. I actually send them to the grocery store. And if you always buy Jif, you have to buy Peter Pan this time. No, but I always buy Jif. We get very ingrained in repeating the behaviors that we know are safe. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen if you get Peter Pan home and you don't like it? Pitch it in the garbage and go back to the store and buy Jif. And so I, I start them out on making small decisions like that. And then pretty soon, they're able to make decisions without, without feeling like it's going to be detrimental if they make the wrong one. And that's why people don't leave toxic relationships. It's confusing because it's not bad all the time. They're fearful of the unknown and they've learned how to adapt in it. And they are afraid that if they make the decision on leaving, what if it's the wrong one?
0: Also want to take a moment to acknowledge, you know, in some countries, there are life and death consequences you know, for leaving a spouse, especially if you're a mm-hmm. woman. Um, and so there are there are cultural and contextual uh, situations for why someone may stay in a relationship longer uh, than they have. Yeah. That's why earlier, you know, you talked about how to talk to, how to cope with, because you mentioned that this person also has their own, um, I don't want to say damage, but their own, you know, emotional yeah. stuff that they're dealing with, right? It's not like this is a bad person. This person is coping and moving about the world in a way that uh, they found to help them survive in a way that, you know, you have moved through the world, like, try not to feel guilty. So if someone is in the relationship and they, they want to stay, how do they confront this person? What do they in that moment where the, the the other person is making a demands is it about practicing decision making like how does somebody become empowered within the relationship if they're feeling like they can't escape the relationship
1: okay so i work i work with people exactly like you're talking about as well um and i want to i want to follow up to on what you just said yes these toxic people are people too and um I always, always make sure my clients know, I'm not, people, I'm sure people think I'm a divorce advocate. I am a marriage advocate. And when, when I have, when I work with my clients on understanding the toxic person, the first thing I tell them is, I'm not saying that this person is bad. This is, they would not be toxic to us if they weren't the people that we were closest to. The crabby grocery store checker isn't toxic to you because you have no emotional connection. So, so when, you know, people don't want to leave or they're scared to leave or they care too much, that's that's normal because this is their spouse, this is their kid, this is their mother, this is their sister, this is their best friend. And and I don't want I don't I would never go in and go, "Oh, this is a bad person, you have you have to leave." Because the way I teach, you need this information whether you're in the relationship or whether you're out of the relationship because a toxic relationship is two people in a relationship that have different goals and you have to understand the perspective of the toxic personality in order to understand them because otherwise you're just going, well, I can't believe he said that, or I can't believe she did that. And if you, if you can understand the motivation behind it, it makes it easier for you to function within it. If you have to stay there or if you're not ready to leave. Um, Usually, After I work with somebody and the education, and they can see um, what is really going on in the situation, then they go back to the question that we started out this recording with is they get to decide who in their life is healthy for them and who is not. And if they, you know, they may decide to stay and function within it once they understand it, or they may decide to leave. And, um, you know, leaving a toxic personality is is an entirely different basket. Um, I do help people with exit plans, but if I do that, I have to know the situation very, very well. Um, Like I said, toxic people are on all different levels of extreme. And if you're going to, if you're going to leave them and take their control and power away from them, you are going to probably be guaranteed that the abuse is going to escalate. So, um, you know, when I work with people that are leaving, we are very careful on how we go about telling them you're leaving, planning, that kind of thing, because my job is to keep my clients safe. And the toxic personality will feel more and more and more insecure the, the more you try to detach, which will cause the abuse to escalate. But I have, I had one client that I worked with her for 18 months. And after she, she was, her goal was, was divorce. And I worked with her for 18 months. I don't need to work with everybody for 18 months, but, um, she actually pulled the divorce the morning of her court trial because she was, she was very confident. He was, he was not super extreme, like, like some of the people that I work with, but she felt confident in now that she understood him, she was comfortable staying in the relationship and she's doing very, very well.
0: Well, Heidi, I appreciate you clearing that up and, and giving us the details of your life and giving us some practical and applicable tools for people who are in toxic relationships. Uh, I have two last questions. Uh, one is, as I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself. What would you say to them?
1: I'm thinking. There is always external factors. I think that that would bring that thought into your head. Now, I will say, I never felt like that through that whole entire relationship, through um, any of the stuff that I went through, and this last year, some of the episodes I had, I I had to tell my husband, I do understand why people do it, um, but. When I start looking around at the good things, and sometimes you're in a place where you can't see the good things, um, I would no longer be able to help people would be would be my reason. But um, the value that others place on you should not be. measured by the amount of strength you have. Don't measure your worth on the amount of strength you have today. That's that's what I would tell people. I actually have that written in marker on my mirror where I get ready for, for work every morning. Because some days you don't feel very strong, and the days you don't feel very strong, you feel worthless. And the days you feel worthless... Um, The other thing I tell people to do is go to bed. If you're having a bad day, go to bed. It doesn't seem near as bad in the morning.
0: (laughs) I love that. And last question, Heidi, what are you looking forward to in the next 24 hours?
1: Oh, my youngest, which is my stepdaughter, while we were recording, just pulled up with her husband in the horse trailer, and she she just got out of the Marine Corps, and we are going to the Lake of the Ozarks, where I keep my boat tomorrow and so i haven't seen her yet i heard him pull up when we started recording
0: i love that i feel like we could talk for another hour i feel like we just scratched the surface uh so we're definitely going to have you back on uh probably maybe towards uh the holidays if you're open to that um
1: i have i do a lot of speaking over the holidays because holidays and toxic relationships are horrible (laughs)
0: Well, thank you, Heidi, for being here. Thank you, for listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for going to get help for calling the 988 or any of the international phone numbers that are in each and every single one of the show notes. You can chat, talk, text. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Heidi.
1: You're welcome.